ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد فان احسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وان شر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار so this is a new series of lessons uh, we will be taking some benefits inshallah ta'ala from the creed of imam at-tahawi rahimahullah ta'ala this was a scholar who was from the early 4th century uh, he died in the year 321 hijra and his book known in short as aqidah at-tahawiya is a very very important book uh, it is it has been given a great deal of attention by the scholars by the scholars of the sunnah because it very very concisely and succinct, succinctly uh, presents the creed of ahlus sunnati wal jamaa and there are many many issues uh, in the book and when we look at the books of the salaf we see that they generally take on a number of forms there's a number of different styles that we see the books of the salaf so one of those styles is the one that we see uh, in at-tahawi's book which is just simply to present the aspects of creed in a very simple manner in, in you know just simple statements that we believe such and such uh on the issue of tawhid we believe such and such on the issue of al qadr we believe such and such on the issue of al iman and mentioning just brief summary statements there are no texts there are no lengthy texts it's just simple statements of creed so in this regard we have this book the creed of imam at tahawi we have usul sunnah of imam ahmed we have sharh sunnah of al imam al barbahari we have sarih uh, as-sunnah uh, of imam at-tabari these are all books which kind of follow this 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 pattern then we have another type of book in which we see that the scholars have simply compiled uh, statements or you know statements from the sunnah hadith uh, which contain issues of creed so they will bring together the hadith to do with qadar the hadith to do, to do with iman the hadith that do with uh, that relate to tawhid and so these now are slightly larger texts because they because they have verses they have hadith and they are arranged in subject order and then there are other books where we see that they are actually refutations they are refutations they are detailed books that speak about for example the issue of iman just the issue of iman or they speak about the issue of qadar or they speak about the issue of um you know allah's attributes allah's names so there are different types and styles of books and this book of imam at-tahawi is of the first type and it is a a book as i said that the scholars give a great deal of attention to because first of all it's a simple text it's easy to learn it's easy to memorize and you know the 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 Uh, the the issues that it contains uh, 
issues that a person should should know and understand. Uh, so it's a, it's a text that provides a good basis for elaborating upon the specific doctrines. So as for the issues that we that we're going to discuss, the first issue today, inshallah ta'ala, is the issue of uh, fortune tellers, soothsayers, and people who fall into that general category. Those people who claim in front of the people that they have knowledge of the unseen, or they have access to the knowledge of the unseen. And so in this regard, Imam Tahawi he says, وَلَا نُصَدِّقُ كَاهِنًا وَلَا عَرَّافًا وَلَا نُصَدِّقُ كَاهِنًا وَلَا عَرَّافًا we do not believe, we do not believe the kahin. And the kahin, obviously the, the translations in English, I will just simply say here for now, loosely, that this is uh, a fortune teller or a soothsayer, fortune teller. Wala arrafan. Again, a soothsayer, a fortune teller, a diviner, along those lines. وَلَا مَنْ يَدَّعِي شَيْئًا يُخَالِفُ الْكِتَابَ وَالسُنَّةَ وَإِجْمَاعَ الْأُمَّةِ And nor anyone who claims anything which opposes the book, the sunnah, and the consensus of the ummah. So this is a sentence, and inshallah this will form the basis of our lesson today. And these sentences... In these sentences, what Imam Tahawi is putting across is that it is from our way, from the way of the people who adhere to the guidance of the Messenger of Allah that they do not believe anyone who claims to have knowledge of the unseen, and nor anyone who claims that he is upon a way, he's upon a state, he's upon a condition, you know, in his behavior, in his uh, approach which opposes the book and the sunnah and what the ummah, the, 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 the companions, ha, are united upon. Now what is the reason why he has mentioned this point in his aqidah? Why did he mention this you know, as, uh, as part of the aqidah? The reason was because in his time, meaning at the end of the 3rd century and the beginning of the 4th century, in that general era, there were some people who appeared and they claimed to be from the awliya. They claimed to be from the pious friends of Allah Azza wa Jal. And in reality, they were upon, uh, you know, they were upon certain things. They used to claim that they had knowledge of the unseen. They had some things with them which opposed the guidance of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu There were numerous things that they opposed. And one of those things that they claimed was that they claimed to have knowledge of the unseen or something from the knowledge of the unseen. So, some of them claimed to be or to have knowledge of the unseen. Some of them claimed to have knowledge of some affairs of the unseen. And so this behavior and this way to make these claims is something that we do not find from the Salaf, from the Sahaba, from the Tabi'een, from the Tabi Tabi'een. Right? To make these claims so shows that you have departed from the way of the Salaf and what the Ummah has agreed upon. And in reality, these people, they are, as the Shaykh says, they are Dajjaleen. They are liars. 
they in fact are liars in their claim. And in reality they are either magicians, they are soothsayers, they are fortune tellers. And except that these people that appeared in that time, they claimed or they made it appear as if they were pious and righteous. And that's exactly what we see we see today as well. We see that many of these people who are present within uh, communities, within societies, and uh, they come across as people who, ca- who are people who are pious and righteous. They have beards, they wear the appropriate dress, um, and they will be in the masajid, they will be in the mosques, and they claim to have knowledge. They claim to have knowledge, they claim to have uh, Access to knowledge by which they can help people in their personal lives, in things they have lost, and so on and so forth. Now, from this basic introduction, uh, we can once we understand all of this, uh, we now move on to the numerous issues, important issues that we should be aware of in regard to this this topic of the fortune tellers and soothsayers. So, the first point, point number one, that we should understand is that Allah Azawajal, He alone has knowledge of the unseen. No one besides Allah Azawajal has knowledge of the unseen because He is Al-Wahid, Al-Ahad, He is the one, He is the unique, and He is Al-Alimu Bighaybi Samawati Wal Ard. He is the one who is knowledgeable, has knowledge of that which is hidden in the heavens and the earth, and whatever is in between them. And there are many ayat in the Quran which establish this belief. With him are the keys of the unseen. No one knows them except for he. And likewise, the statement of Allah Allah. Say, no one knows the unseen. No one in the heavens of the earth knows the unseen except Allah. And likewise, عَالِمُ فَلَا يُظْهِرُ عَلَىٰ غَيْبِهِ أَحَدًا The know of the unseen. He does not reveal the unseen to anyone. And then there's an exception, إِلَّا مَنِ ارْتَضَىٰ مِنْ رَسُولٍ Except whomever he is pleased with from of a messenger. Until the end of the, end of the passage in Surah Al-Jinn. And likewise, the statement of Allah Azawajal at the end of Surah Luqman, which mentions the five things, the five affairs from the knowledge of the unseen that only Allah knows. Inna Allah indahu ilmu Verily, Allah with Him is the knowledge of the hour. Nobody knows the knowledge, the timing of the hour except for Allah. And He brings down the rain. He sends down the rain. وَيَعْلَمُ مَا فِي الْأَرْحَامِ He knows that which is in the wombs. وَمَا تَدْرِي نَفْسٌ مَاذَا تَكْسِبُ غَدَى No soul knows what it shall earn tomorrow. وَمَا تَدْرِي نَفْسٌ بِأَيِّ أَرْضٍ تَمُوتٍ And nor does any soul know in which land it is going to die. There are five things. Only Allah Azawajal, He knows all of these affairs. So these verses, all of them and many others, they indicate that the ilmul ghaib is unique for Allah Azza wa Jal. And the ilmul ghaib, what does it refer to? It refers to, it can refer to that which is past, from which we have not witnessed. 
It can refer to that which is to come in the future of events, which we obviously have not, cannot uh, witness. It refers to things which are in existence that we cannot, that we cannot see. There are things that we cannot see. And that's why from the greatest qualities of the believers, and in fact the first quality mentioned in the Qur'an, the very first quality, is that they believe in the unseen. Alif Lam Mim, ذلك الكتاب لا ريب فيه هدى للمتقين الذين يؤمنون بالغيب. So the first quality mentioned about any uh, about the believers in the Quran is that they believe in the unseen. So we believe that there are things that we cannot perceive with our senses, like for example the jinn, like for example the angels which we have been informed of, like for example the uh, things which are in existence like paradise and hellfire and you know things which are in the seven heavens which we have been informed about. All of this, we believe in this. It is perfectly reasonable to believe in this and to believe that there are things that we cannot see, that we cannot perceive. And we should not be deceived, since we are on this topic, we should not be deceived by these people who 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 have their own, um, which are really religious beliefs. Those people who claim that the only thing in existence is physical matter, the only thing which exists is just material causes and physical matter, and everything that we see, that's all there is, and we can study it purely through the laws of physics and chemistry, and we can, you know, that's all there is to reality, and everything we can explain in terms of you know this this knowledge knowledge of physics knowledge of chemistry the, the the laws the forces everything can be explained through those means and there is nothing outside of what we can experience there are no so for that reason they deny the nafs the ruh the soul they deny the jinn deny the angels deny a creator deny that there are things you know that we cannot see um and so all of this really, there is no proof for this. They have no proof for this statement. This is just a presumption that they have. There is no proof for this statement. It, it, it is something that they have to believe philosophically. It's something that they have to believe first without really having any proof for it. They don't have any proof. And even then, they actu- actually contradict themselves. So for example, you will see if you are familiar with, with what these people say and do in, 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 in the sciences, they believe in things that they cannot see. They believe in forces, they believe in particles, they invent these particles, they invent these forces. right? So when the theories don't match up and they contradict the observations, they say, well actually no, there must be something called dark energy. There must be something out there called dark matter. There must be something called a scalar field. There must be something called... Um, you know, a graviton or whatever. These are all things, they're things they're inventing, right? They, and they accept that these are things we can never ever see, we can never ever detect, we can never ever test. They're unseeable, unobservable. They're not, we can't, you know. So these are, these are things of the unseen that they believe in. And then they say, we know that they can exist, we know, we can test that they exist by looking at what effects they might be manifesting. So we can't see them, but we'll, we, we, we will 
We will hypothesize about the effects that they have and see if we can detect those effects. So, believing the unseen and trying to prove that that which is unseen exists by way of the effects that we might be able to detect. Now think about this. How is that different from believing in Allah Azawajal and seeing the athar, the effects of his actions and his names and his attributes? From his athar is, is, is the creation. The creation of man, the sun, the moon, the stars, the you know, all of the benefits that we have. These are the athar. These are the effects of the actions and the names and the attributes of Allah Azawajal. And Allah Azawajal, we cannot see him. He is, he is unseen to us in the life of this world. So what's the difference between this and between what these people do and what they speculate and what they claim in, in their sciences? Right? So uh, we should not be deceived by, by, you know, by, by these people, these people who dominate today the fields of science, you know, many, many fields, they dominate these fields and they actually have a religion. This is a religion, right? They, they haven't come to this conclusion by science. They started with the conclusion that this is the religion that we want. This is what we feel comfortable with. We feel comfortable with a world in which there is only the physical material things. We feel comfortable with this type of idea. And we're going to stick to this idea. And then when we investigate the world through science, we are always going to stick to these principles. right? So the, the religion came first, the beliefs came first, and then they're just simply using science as a tool uh, to deceive everyone. That there is no creator, there is no resurrection, there is no... right. So you have to understand how, how they, they position themselves. So the point being that it is from reason to believe that there is more to existence than that which you can simply see with our senses. Right? And that Allah Azawajal is the one who knows all of that. And we cannot claim to have knowledge of that. And anyone who claims to have this knowledge, to have something from this knowledge of the unseen, then straight away we know he's from the shiatin, he's from the devils, or he is from the brethren of the devils. And we come to a verse, an important verse in the Qur'an, which sheds some light into many of the affairs that take place, and which involve an interaction between the jinn and men. Between the jinn and between the men. So on Yawmul Qiyamah, Allah he mentions what will happen on Yawmul Qiyamah. He says, وَيَوْمَ يَحْشُرُهُمْ جَمِيعًا The day on which he will gather all of them together. So everyone will be raised, the jinn and the men all will be gathered together. And he will say, يَا مَعْشِرَ الْجِنِّ قَدِ اسْتَغْثَرْتُمْ مِنَ الْإِنسِ He will say to the jinn, O jinn, you have, you know, you have uh, acquired, you, you have acquired followers and you, you attain benefit from the, from the, from the ins, from the men. And their allies from the men. And then their allies from the men, meaning the men who were allies to the jinn. They will say then, So the men will say in turn, O oh our Lord, we sought 
benefit and pleasure from each other. And now we have reached our appointed time, which you specified for us. This verse is Surah Al-An'am, Surah 6, verse 128. The point being in this verse, that on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, the men and jinn, they will acknowledge that in the life of this world, that they interacted with each other, and they benefited from each other. As for the jinn, how did he get his benefit and his pleasure from the men? It is because the men worshipped the jinn. They performed actions, they sacrificed animals, they you know, did things that the jinn demanded of them, acts of worship, acts of you know, sacrilege and whatever else they did. And in turn, the men, they benefited from the jinn because the jinn would do certain things for them, a range of things for them. So, in some cases, they would give them information of the unseen or what, you know, uh, they they claim to have of the knowledge of the unseen. In other cases, they might go and execute some magic, for example. In other cases, they might go and find a missing thing, for example. So the, there's a range of things that can be done between the jinn and the men. So the point being here that the jinn and the men in the interactions, one of the things that can arise from this is the claim from men, that they have access to the knowledge of the unseen. Right? And this is where we have now the uh, the Kahan and the Arraf, uh, the Kahin and the Arraf and people like that. And so for that reason, we see there are many ahadith which have come regarding them that we shall discuss in a short while, inshallah ta'ala. From, the, from those hadith, is that which is reported in uh, Sahih Muslim from Muawiyah bin al-Hakam al-Sullami anhu, who came to the Messenger of Allah and said, Indeed, there are men who inna rijalan yatakahhanuna fanahahu an-Nabi an-Dhalik. He came to the Messenger and said, Indeed, there are men who yatakahhanun Meaning that they that they uh, claim or they try to uh, acquire or they try to offer knowledge of the unseen. So the messenger of Allah he forbade him from that. And in another hadith, لَيْسَ مِنَّا لَهُ He is not from us who gives or claims to have knowledge of the unseen. Meaning he, he makes up, uh, uh, predictions or tells fortunes. Or the one for whom it is done so now why do these why do these people make these claims as we explain it is because the devils come to them and they offer them certain pieces of knowledge and sometimes these pieces of knowledge can be correct sometimes these pieces of knowledge can be complete lies but they are embellished and beautified and adorned with so many other things and so therefore, the, 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 these people, they, they claim to have uh, this knowledge. And also because Allah Azawajal, He has given certain abilities to the jinn, which He has not given to the men. So the jinn have the ability to ascend the heaven, they have the ability to uh, listen, and they have the ability to transmit information to each other in a manner which is, which is extremely rapid. And so what some of them do, is that they listen, 
because in the heavens there are there are commands which Allah He gives to the angels, and they and the angels speak about this to each other, and so they are able to listen, and as they listen, they may be able to find something or hear something in relation to something from Qadr that will take place, for example, in a in a certain time or a certain location, and as they are listening, they will catch some of it. They will catch some of it, and perhaps there will be uh, there will be um, like a shihab, like a meteor or a star that will be cast at them, and then you know that one will die, and you know the information is lost, and maybe someone else who heard it from him, you know, he will get something of that information, but it's not really accurate. This is this is really what's taking place, and so Allah Azza he mentions in Surah Al-Hijr, "Illa man Except the one who tried to get a listening. But then he was followed by a you know a clear like a meteor, a blazing like a meteor. So this is how the Shayateen acquire this knowledge or something of this knowledge. Likewise, the first ayah in Surah and Surah Najm, one of the interpretations of this verse is that it means that the, the star when it pelts, when, when it pelts a, a jinn or a, or a devil. So in the heaven, Allah has put rujum, uh, which are these, you know, uh, for want of a better word, they are like uh, meteors or missiles, so to speak. And the heaven is filled with them. Anyone who tries to get a listening, then, you know, they will lie in wait for him. So this is point number one. Point number one then is that Allah Azawajal, only He knows the unseen, and that the shayateen, the devils, they have been given certain abilities that allows them to have to listen, to try to listen. And sometimes they gain access to something of that knowledge. And they bring it, and then because of that connection with the men, because the men worship the jinn, and the jinn want the men to worship them, and the men want favors from the jinn, then the jinn pass on that information. So for that reason, because there are amongst people who claim to have knowledge of the unseen, then straight away we know that these people are liaising with the jinn. They are working with the jinn. For that reason, the statement of creed is very simple. وَلَا نُصَدِّقُ قَاهِنًا وَلَا عَرَّافًا We do not believe a kahin or an arraf. Now what is the meaning of kahin? And what is the meaning of Arraf? The scholars, they differed about these words and how to explain these words. There are numerous explanations. And we find that in the hadiths, as we shall mention shortly, inshallah ta'ala, in some hadiths, the word kahin is mentioned by itself. In other hadiths, the word Arraf is mentioned by itself. And in some of them, the two are mentioned together. And we shall come to that shortly, inshallah ta'ala. But coming to the meanings of these words... What is the meaning of kahin? What is the meaning of arraf? First of all, the word kahin. The word kahin simply means to speculate about something that you do not have any knowledge of. Kahin and takahana means to simply speculate. And to, you know, to, to essentially shoot in the dark without any knowledge. To speculate and shoot in the dark. And This really then is a type of dhan. Dhan means suspicion. 
that you simply have suspicion, that you suspect and presume and assume without any real knowledge. So this is really a type of one. And that's why we see that linguistically, sometimes a person might say, تَقَحَّنْتُ أَنَّهُ سَيَكُونُ كَذَا وَكَذَا This is now something that is said in the language, that I suspect that such and such might happen. This is how the word تَقَحَّنَ is used uh, linguistically. So first of all, we can see clearly that the word kahin takahana is one who is just presuming and having suspicions and assumptions about that which he does not know. And so this is the meaning of the linguistic meaning of the word kahin and takahana. And so you can see how this then leads to the issue of the knowledge of the unseen. Right, it means that this person is speculating about the knowledge of the unseen. This is what he does. He speculates. As for the word Arraf, the word Arraf, then obviously it comes from Arafa, to Arrafa, uh, which means to, to know or to become acquainted, to become acquainted. And this is the person who um, who basically claims knowledge or who has knowledge of that which has happened in the past. And he tells people about them. And knowledge about that which is in the future, and he tells people about them. And so this is the general meaning of the word araf. And sometimes it is used for someone, for example, let's say someone lost a watch, or someone lost a piece of gold, or someone lost something. And then they come to this person, the araf, and then he tells people about you know lost things and things of the unseen and that, that, that kind of nature. So this is purely from the linguistic point of view. This is what linguistically these two words mean. Araf, one who has knowledge of things. Kahin, one who you know, makes, uh, has suspicions and guesses and conjectures about things that he has no knowledge of. Now, on top of this, the, the, the scholars also have differences in terms of uh, what is a kahin and what is an araf. So, they say that a kahin is the one, so one of the views is that the kahin is the one who can tell about the affairs of the future and of the past. And he seeks aid from the jinn by way of this. Right? This is the kahin. And as for the araf, he is simply the one who tells the people about things they have lost. And he uses the help of the jinn. Right? So things which are present now, but they've been lost. Right? So he solicits the jinn, and the jinn tell him, yes, it's in such and such place, and in such and such location. Right? So it's in the now, but things which are lost. Whereas the kahin is telling you about past events, and likewise the future events, like fortune tellers do. But that's one view. Some scholars say that that's the essential difference between the two. The second view to explain these two terms, is that kahin, <coughs> kahin is the general term. The word kahin is the general term. So kahin is a general term, and the araf comes under the term kahin. So the kahin is more general, and the araf is someone who is more specific. <coughs> And the kahin is, you know, th- there are many things that come under a kahin. The, there's an astrologer, 
fortune tellers and all the, you know the anyone who claims knowledge of the unseen uh, using whichever means they could be they use numerology they could use astrology they could use you know there's so many different ways and means that we're going to look at shortly inshallah ta'ala so kahin is a general word that refers to everyone and anyone who claims knowledge of the unseen past present or future it's a general uh, umbrella term and the araf is the one who enters into that he you know he comes into this into this as a subset of the kahin so this is a second view right kahin more general araf is a subset a third view is that the araf is more general the araf one who knows is more general and the kahin is someone who is a subset because the kahin in this view is someone who only knows of the future he only tells fortunes he only tells of 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 the future so this last third view is the view of Sheikh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah ta'ala and uh, others in any case no matter what the case we know that the word kahin is distinct from the word arraf they have slightly different uh, meanings so that is the second point what is the linguistic meaning of the word uh, you know taqahana and ar- the arraf and how do we what are the separate meanings of them we now come to the third uh, issue and the third issue is that in the hadith of the messenger of allah sallallahu uh, it is clear that to go to these people is haram and it is a great and mighty sin indeed an extremely heavy sin and we gather that from the various uh, hadith the first of them is from uh, narrated by Hafsa Ummul Mu'minin radiyallahu anha that the messenger of Allah sallallahu he said man ata man ata arrafan fasalahu an shay'in lam tuqbal lahu salatun 40 layla the one who came to an arraf and asked him about anything about anything his prayer will not be accepted for 40 nights so here in this hadith we notice that the word arraf has been used in another hadith of abu huraira radiyallahu anhu the prophet sallallahu he said man ata kahinan man ata kahinan fasaddaqahu faqad kafara bima unzila ala muhammad sallallahu Whoever came to a kahin and believed him, then he has disbelieved in what was revealed upon Muhammad So we see kahin in one hadith and arraf in another hadith, which indicates that they that they have different meanings. And and what what supports this on top of that is the fact that in another hadith of Abu Huraira, uh, that the Prophet he said, "Man ata kahinan aw arrafan." So he combined the two together in one hadith. فَسَأَلَهُ عَنْ شَيْءٍ فَصَدَّقَهُ لَمْ تُقْبَلْ لَهُ صَلَاةٌ أَرْبَعِينَ لَيْلَةٌ Anyone who came to a kahin or an arraf and asked him about anything and believed him, then his prayer will not be accepted for 40, <coughs> for 40 <coughs> nights. So this shows first of all clearly this is haram. It is prohibited to go to the likes of these people. Just merely to ask that person, about anything, right? Because it said, فَسَأَلَهُ عَنْ شَيْءٍ So this means absolutely anything. It didn't restrict it to any issue. It says about anything. Then this person has brought upon himself a great and mighty sin. In fact, the sin is so big 
that the prayer, even though you have to perform the prayer, it will not be accepted from you with the meaning that you will, you will have no reward for it whatsoever. This is how great and mighty the sin uh, is for this particular action. So from this it becomes clear. And likewise, uh, the hadith actually says, whoever asked him and believed, in the previous hadith, whoever asked him, then he has disbelieved, uh, believed him, sorry, whoever asked and believed him, then he has disbelieved in that which was revealed upon Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa So as for the discussion, does a person become a disbeliever or not? We'll come to that in a short while. But for now, we see in this hadith, مَنْ أَتَى عَرَّافًا فَسَأَلَهُ عَنْ Asked him about anything. This is upon umum. It is general. It doesn't matter if you ask him about that which is past, that which is present now, and that which is in the future, about something that you might have lost, something, all of this, the result of this is that your prayer will not be accepted by Allah Azza wa Jal. And the reason behind all of this, the reason behind all of this is what we have already discussed in the previous point, which is that the men, they can never ever have access to the knowledge of the unseen, or what they claim to be knowledge of the unseen, about things, for example, which are absent, things which are being lost, except that he seeks aid by way of the jinn. This is the only way, the only route. There is no other route. And seeking aid by way of the jinn is shirk in and of itself, because the shiateen never help people until and unless they disbelieve or they are prepared to do actions of disbelief. Right? So when you see a lot of these magicians, fortune tellers, soothsayers, behind the scenes, these people, in order to win the cooperation and the help of the jinn, they have to do certain evil, repugnant, vile deeds. Right? To commit disbelief, to say words of disbelief, to... Uh, stand on the Qur'an, or to throw the Qur'an in, 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 in the filth, and all of these things, things of this nature, are to express, make expressions of disbelief. So, the, 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 the jinn serve the men, the men receive the assistance of the jinn, and in the middle, these actions have to take place. Right? This is the cost of, of, of this cooperation. And... We see that Allah Zawajal, He mentions in Surah Al-Jinn, وَأَنَّهُ كَانَ رِجَالٌ مِنَ الْجِنِ رِجَالٌ مِنَ الْإِنسِ يَعُوذُونَ بِرِجَالٍ مِنَ الْجِنِ فَزَادُوهُمْ رَهَقًا That there were men from amongst the jinn seeking refuge with men from the jinn. Men from the ins seeking refuge with men from the jinn and they only increased them in rahaq, meaning in... Uh, sinfulness, in trials, in tribulations, in calamities, they only increase them in those affairs. So this is how they are getting the knowledge of the unseen. Now this person, his prayer will not be accepted for 40 days, and the scholars have differed. What does this mean? Does it mean that, that this person, uh, even though he prays, there will, there will be no prayer for him at all. As in, it is not accepted to begin with. He has not fulfilled his obligation. Does it mean that? Or does it mean that he prays them and it will remove the obligation, but they will not be accepted by Allah? Right? So his obligation is done, 
his obligation to five prayers, but they are not accepted by Allah, there is no reward, nothing else, apart from him just physically performing them. Which of the two does it mean? Right? It's, it's the second of the two. This is the correct view. That, that he, will not get, he will not get any reward, even though he performs them, and they do fulfill his obligation, but there is no reward for him whatsoever. Now as for the final part of what, what, it, what is mentioned in the hadith, فَقَدْ كَفَرْ بِمَا أُنزِلَ عَلَى مُحَمَّدْ That he has deceived, that, that he has disbelieved in that which is revealed upon Muhammad Then, if you think that this is what is being said about the one who merely comes and asks about anything, what do you think is the ruling about the one who is the one who is actually doing the fortune telling? The, the one who is actually claiming the, the unseen. Right? So the ruling on a kahin and an arraf, there's two issues then. First of all, the hukum upon the kahin and the arraf. And that is, that which is correct is, that these people, they sought aid from the shayateen and from the jinn. And as a result of this, this is disbelief. <coughs> and this is kufr. The one who engages in this practice and the one who transmits from the shayateen, from the jinn. Because here the presumption is the same as for a magician. Because a magician and any people who have these types of dealings, they can only win the assistance of the jinn after worshipping them. It's not possible. Because this is what we are told about the shayateen, about the devils, about the jinn, their enmity towards uh, man, towards Adam al-Islam. And their aim is to misguide them, mislead them, lead them to Jahannam. And so the jinn do not offer assistance to the men except that they you know, worship them and serve them and disbelieve in Allah Azawajal. So the ruling upon a kahin and an arraf is that their actions are actions of disbelief because they are making isti'ana by way of the, the jinn and the shayateen. As for the one who asks, the one who goes to them, now we see clearly in the hadith it says, فَقَدْ كَفَرْ بِمَا أُنزِلَ عَلَى مُحَمَّدٍ This disbelief, what disbelief is this? Is it disbelief which expels from the fold of Islam? Or is it disbelief that is less than disbelief? There are actually three explanations from the scholars. There are three different views. The first view amongst the scholars is that they say, that it is clear disbelief because in the hadith it clearly says فَقَدْ كَفَرْ فَقَدْ كَفَرْ He has disbelieved. And there are some scholars in our times who, who give this uh, ruling and this verdict. Now the second view is from the people of knowledge are those who say no, it is actually less than disbelief. It is not the disbelief which expels from the fold of Islam. And the proof for this, there are two evidences for this. There are two things which indicate this. The first is that in the hadith, it said, whoever comes to a kahin or an arraf and asks him and believes him, his prayer will not be accepted for 40 nights. So, if the person was a disbeliever, then the issue of the prayer would not be mentioned. Because, because the issue of the prayer is irrelevant to a disbeliever. So why is it said that his prayer will not be accepted for 40 nights? This means that this cannot be disbelief. It cannot be disbelief which expels from the fold of Islam. 
So, so this is one evidence that they bring, and to show that it cannot be cannot be the major disbelief. And the second thing that 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 or the second consideration is that sometimes a person will go to an araf or a kahin, and he knows how this person is getting his information. He knows. I know that this man is simply going to, uh, you know, cooperate with the jinn, and he's getting his knowledge through the jinn, and the jinn, uh, you know, have uh, networks and. You know, they pass information to each other very rapidly and this is how it's working. So this person who goes to them, he does not believe that they know the knowledge of the unseen. Right? He's not he's not believing and claiming that this individual has the knowledge of the unseen in and of you know himself. He knows that. He's not he's not believing that. But he knows the mechanism through which that knowledge is coming to this person. Right? So he might have lost some gold, for example, and he's desperate to get it back, and he goes and, you know, he knows this person doesn't himself know the unseen, right? He knows he's going to go and ask the jinn, so he goes to him on this basis. Now this, when a person goes on this basis, this shows that this person is not believing that someone besides Allah uh, knows the knowledge of the unseen. So therefore this then is not, this is a shubha. Right, this is this does not make this person a disbeliever, right, one who has committed shirk with Allah Azawajal. And so this this shubha that they have it prevents them from holding the belief that these people know the unseen absolutely and independently. And so this you see, uh, as we said, that many of these people who claim to have knowledge of the unseen, the people who appear in the garb of piety and righteousness, and people trust them and believe them and go to them. And believe that there are some ways and means that they are using. So because of this shubha, you know, the, the, the scholars are of the view who hold this view that they are not committing major disbelief, even though they are extremely sinful and their prayer will not be accepted for 40 nights. And the third view is the view of Imam Ahmed who says that we do not enter into this discussion of whether it is major disbelief or minor disbelief. Rather, we just say the hadith as it is. And we convey it to the people as it is. Because the hadith contains a severe prohibition and a reprimand and a warning to people. So we want to keep it like that and just convey the hadith exactly as it is. Right? And this is Imam Ahmed's view on other hadiths as well. As well. Like the hadith to do with, for example, the, the characteristics of hypocrisy. You know, three other traits of a hypocrite. When he speaks, he tells lies. When he makes a promise, he breaks a promise. When he is trusted, he acts treacherously. Just leave it like that. Don't interpret it. Don't explain it. Don't say, is it... Leave it like that. Because the intent behind these texts is to make the people fearful. And to severely reprimand these actions. So that's the third view with respect to, you know, the person who goes to a fortune teller or a soothsayer. So... Before we move on to the fourth point, I think we should mention, uh, in fact, we'll come to that in, 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 in the next point. We'll come to that shortly. So the fourth point then, we'll come to the fourth point, and this is that the jinns and the shayateen, how they access knowledge by ascending to the heavens. In history, there have been three 
time periods, uh, one before Islam, before the Quran, then the period for 23 years during which the Quran was being revealed, and then the period after the Quran's revelation was completed. There are three time periods. Within these three time periods, the ability of the jinn, the shayateen, to access and to hear that knowledge that is spoken amongst the angels about the issues of uh, Al-Qadr, that the, their ability has been different. Before Islam, before Islam, uh, it was very, very frequent. It used to happen abundantly. It was very, very frequently. And this is before the sending of the Prophet Muhammad This is when the people were in Jahiliyyah. They believed in soothsayers, they believed in magicians, they believed in fortune tellers, right? They believed in superstition. And these affairs were rife in every, you know, everywhere you went, in every civilization or community, right? This is, this is what the people were upon, as well as many other evils as well. And so frequently, the, 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 the uh, you know, the, um, the fortune tellers, astrologers, people like this were, were abundant within, within, within societies. This is before Islam came. In the time that Islam came, in the time of revelation specifically, the heaven was filled by, you know, uh, uh, shuhub, by, you know, by basically protective um, uh, stars, meteors, things of that nature to protect the heaven, to safeguard the heaven as the Qur'an was being revealed. And this is indicated by those jinn, in Surah Al-Jinn, as is mentioned in Surah Al-Jinn, who said, uh, as we see in the first, first ayah, قُلْ أُوحِيَ إِلَيَّ أَنَّهُ اسْتَمَعَ نَفَرٌ مِنَ الْجِنِّ فَقَالُوا إِنَّا سَمِعْنَا قُرْآنًا عَجَبًا And they keep going until, they, until we reach the verse number 8. وَأَنَّا لَمَسْنَا السَّمَاءَ فَوَجَدْنَاهَا مُلِئَتْ حَرَسًا شَدِيدًا وَشُهُبًا so these jinn, they heard the Qur'an, and uh, an, uh, an amazing Qur'an, and they go on to explain how they used to traverse and go to the heaven, and they found it to be guarded, you know, protected uh, uh, by, by, by shuhub. So they are, they are narrating what they themselves saw as they, as they would ascend. So this shows that the heaven in the time that the Qur'an was being revealed was muli'at, meaning it was filled with all of these protective, uh, like meteor stars and whatever else. And Allah protected it as a means of uh, preserving the revelation, right? Pre- preserving the accuracy of the revelation and preventing the, the jinn, the devils from gaining, uh, you know, listening to, uh, to it. So this continued during a revelation and then at the end of the revelation of the Quran, after the era of the Prophet Sallallahu um, what happened was that the protection remained and although not to the same level as it was during the time of the Qur'an, but the revelation remained. And the reason for that is so that no one after the Messenger Muhammad can come, acquire knowledge of the unseen and then come to the people and deceive them and claim he is a prophet. Right? Because from the qualities and the traits of prophets is that they are given something from the knowledge of the unseen. And they convey that knowledge. Like our Messenger Islam, he informed his ummah about many, many, many events that were to take place in his ummah. The splitting and 
you know, the, the Khawarij appearing and the Qadariya appearing and the fire that will emerge from, from Adan and, and, you know, and many other things that, 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 that he mentioned. And so when you put all of these things together, it lends support. They are proofs of prophethood. And so therefore in the era after the Prophet ﷺ, that protection still remained. And for that reason, we know that you see all of these liars who are present today and they say, yes, you know, the end of the world will be in 2012 and you know, so-and-so will happen and so-and-so will happen. And, and we know that they are liars because everything they say is, is falsified. Even though we know that some of it they are taking from the, from the jinn and the shayateen, but the jinn and the shayateen can only get a quick glimpse, like a quick listen, and then they are pursued by you know, a meteor or a star, something like that. And so they mix hundreds of lies, and when these lies come down and filter through to the fortune tellers, and the ones who claim to predict events, then we see that you know, from a hundred things that they tell, one might be partially correct, and there's a hundred, which are ninety-nine, which is complete and utter lies. And so we know that this person is, is a liar and a false prophet. So, so we know then from all of this, we know that anyone who claims to have knowledge of the unseen is a kafir, is a disbeliever. And he's a disbeliever on one of two grounds, on one of two reasons. The first is, either he is claiming knowledge He's claiming to have knowledge of the unseen, which belongs only to Allah. So he is giving himself a quality which belongs only to Allah Azawajal. On that ground, or on the ground that he is seeking aid from the jinn, worshipping them, acquiring their assistance, and so therefore there must be some disbelief involved. And on that ground, he is a disbeliever. Right? So on either of these two grounds, then this person is a disbeliever. And as for the one who goes to them and asks them, then we mentioned previously the tafsil, the detail regarding such a person. This person is not a disbeliever. Right? But he's extremely, extremely uh, sinful. So, and we know that the, that the knowledge of the unseen belongs only to Allah. And the eye that we mentioned at the beginning, alimul ghayb, فَلَا يُظْهِرُ عَلَىٰ غَيْبِهِ أَحَدًا إِلَّا مَنْ ارْتَضَىٰ مِنْ رَسُولٍ فَإِنَّهُ يَسْلُكُ مِنْ بَيْنِ يَدَيْهِ وَمِنْ خَلْفِهِ رَصَدًا The know of the unseen, he does not reveal the unseen to anyone, except, an exception, except to one who is pleased with from amongst his messengers, and then he places before him, and between him and after him, a protection. So Allah made an exception. What is that exception? A Rasul, a messenger. And a messenger can be a Rasul Malaki, <coughs> an angel or a Rasul Bashari or a prophet, a messenger from amongst men or a messenger amongst the angels. So they are given something of the knowledge of the unseen as a proof that they are genuine prophets and genuine messengers. This now brings us to the final point to do with Al-Kihana and Irafa itself, meaning this actual practice of fortune telling and you know what we find in practice is that there are so many different manifestations of this and when you look across all societies all civilizations all nations in history in the past in the present you see that there are so many different ways and methods that people have and they devise in order to pretend to know the unseen and to tell the unseen. 
So for example, I have a list here of maybe 10, 20, about 30 different ways and means that, you know, I mean, some of the names we probably will need explanation. Astromancy, horary astrology, pendulum reading, spirit board reading, tassiography, which involves leaves, tea leaves in a cup, cartomancy, fortune telling with cards, tarot reading, crystallomancy, using crystals. Um, you know, you have uh, geomancy, making marks in the ground. You have necromancy by the dead, by the spirits and souls. Numerology, by way of numbers. Astrology, by way of the stars, the positions of the, oh, sorry, of the, uh, of the movements of the bodies. Astrology, astromancy, by the uh, movements of the stars and positions of the stars. You have uh, onomancy, right? So someone will come and he will say to you, what's your name? I'll say, well, my, my name is Zaid. So from the name, he'll start doing some calculations. Well, Zaid, the Za has this number, the Ya has this number, Dal has this number, that number comes up to, you know, uh, 677, and this represents such and such and such, such right? This is, uh, this is another style and a method. Uh, you have palmistry, right? So they'll take your palm, and they'll look at the lines, and on the basis of the lines, they'll start, you know, making uh, predictions.